The Lord Jesus promised to return for his followers. That promise was meant to spark hope and a desire to live our lives before that one great prospect. Jesus could come at any time for us. Any teaching in the church that dulls this hope is not of the Spirit of Christ. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. To discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We also have a new website we want to steer you to. It is savingevangelicals.com. There you'll find an interactive experience that guides you in testing your testimony of saving faith. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, we have the command to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. So go to savingevangelicals.com and take the test. Now we're considering the return of the Lord Jesus that Peter refers to in 2 Peter 3 as the promise of his coming. There's a problem in the church today. Christians are not living in light of the return of Jesus Christ. And we must ask ourselves, why? Why are we not living with anticipation for Jesus to come again for us? When you read the New Testament writings of the authors, they'll reveal to us this concept that the Lord Jesus' return is imminent. And that means not merely that it's near, but that it's coming at any time or any moment. One of the things the Lord Jesus said quite often when speaking of his own return is, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. The idea is it's upon you in a flash. It comes quickly and at any moment. Well, as individuals began studying prophecy and breaking apart and different people broke into their different camps, they started thinking about all the chronology of all the things that would happen before and when the Lord Jesus came and they had all their different opinions. But one of the things that all this consideration did was it drove off this sense of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. In fact, just the other day I read an article that was written in what is probably the most popular internet magazine that Christians read, and the argument of the author was that eminence means that the Lord Jesus coming is near, but it doesn't mean at any moment. And then he went on to argue that the scriptures imply that there are delays that will take place before the Lord returns. And this New Testament teaching implies that there are other things and certain things that must take place before the Lord Jesus returns. And then he actually went on to suggest things that still are before us that have to be fulfilled before the Lord Jesus returns. So yes, it's near, but it's not imminent in the sense it's not coming at any moment, at any time. And Well, as I read the article, I was processing what the author was saying, and I thought to some extent what the author was saying was correct. That the Bible does indicate that there are, and it does imply that there are delays that take place. The Lord Jesus in his parables gave in his parables images and pictures of there being a delay in which during that time of delay before he returned, there was a necessary stewardship for those who remained. And that they had to be observant and waiting and ready. And, and the state of readiness needed to take place because there would be a delay. And there would be a time, and the authors write, we'll see this in a moment, but the New Testament authors write to the people that they're called to instruct and teach, and one of the things they exhort them to is in light of the return of the Lord Jesus, patience. And as we're reading from Peter here, not to lose heart or think that God has forgotten or God is not coming. And Well, that implies that they sense that there's a delay, but also it implies that they think he's coming at any moment. They think he's coming now, and he's not coming now, and so they're a little discouraged and a little confused. And Well, yes, there are some implications in Scripture of 
a delay and that other things may have to take place between the Lord Jesus' ascension into heaven and his return, as the author has pointed out in this article I read. But although I, I think he's somewhat correct, I think the central point he is making is completely wrong. I think he's wrong. We don't know exactly how Christ is going to fulfill the prophetic word that we read in Scripture, and we won't until it's fulfilled. It's there. We can have some ideas. But we're not going to know exactly what all of it means, how it's going to be answered, until it is answered. And what we're left with throughout the New Testament is a strong and direct teaching to expect and be ready for Christ to return at any moment. And so any teaching that you're given and any instruction that you receive and any preponderance of instruction that you receive over time that somehow begins to layer into your mind and your thinking that you don't need to be worried about Jesus returning just yet because before he returns, this thing and that thing and this other thing have to take place first. I think is strictly out of line with the whole sense of the New Testament writers on this very subject. Jesus himself in Luke 12, 40 writes this. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at a time when you do not expect it. James wrote to remind the church to wait in preparation for the Lord's coming. And read this in James 5, verse 7. He writes to the church of this day of the Lord's coming, and he says to those that he's writing to, Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient now. Calling for them to be impatient implies the possibility that there's a period of time in which they have to wait. There's some delay. They're required to be patient because it's not happening in the short order in which they think it's going to happen. But also it implies that, they be, that he's coming in short order. They're expecting him to come at any moment. And actually then James goes on to write this. Be patient, he says, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, I don't know about you, but I knew what that meant when I read that passage the first time as a young boy. Because I knew what it was like to have my mother's hand at the doorknob, right? You know, I told you boys to be quiet. She'd jiggle that doorknob just a little bit, and it was like, okay. We've got to be really quiet now. It's time to go to sleep because she might bust through the door and, well, who knows what would happen then. So I knew what it meant. At any moment, the door could spring open. 1 Thessalonians 4. Go back to 1 Thessalonians if you can. Verses 15 through 17 is one of the clearest passages on the coming of the Lord Jesus to rescue the believer from the earth. The Lord Jesus is returning in this passage. He doesn't come upon the earth, but he calls the believers who are upon the earth to meet him in the air, to be with him. And It's this picture from which we get the word rapture, which is drawn from the Greek word, which means to snatch up and to take up. And here Paul reveals what his own personal expectations is in relationship to the day of Christ's return. Listen to these words. It's verses 15 through 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and will remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, those who have died. There was a little bit of confusion. Here's what the early church's anticipation was. They were so anticipating the Lord Jesus to come at any moment and soon and quickly that when certain Christians started dying, they thought, oh, this is a problem. They've missed the coming of the Lord Jesus. Paul writes them and say, don't worry about this. 
When the Lord Jesus comes to draw us to himself, we're not going to go up with him to be with him before those who have fallen asleep, those who have died before us. For the Lord himself, he writes in verse 16, will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Can I just point out to you that Paul says, we who are alive and Paul is anticipating that he and those he's writing to, he's saying, now listen, you got it wrong that you think that those who died, that you know the Lord is coming soon and at any moment and you think those who've died have missed out on his return, you've got that wrong, but you're not wrong to think that he's coming at any moment and that we're going to be a part of it because Paul thinks that as he writes it, Paul at least allows those he's writing to and himself to be placed on the earth alive at the very moment in which the Lord Jesus comes and returns to draw them to himself. That's a pretty quick return. and That's a pretty immediate return. And this also can explain why Paul's teaching to the church in 1 Corinthians, he urges them to hurry up and quickly enter into their ministry and their service and not to allow themselves to become encumbered by anything that would keep them from rushing to the mission of making Christ known to all those in the region in which they live. It seems that Paul is so impressed with the possibility of Christ's return at any moment that he's instructing the church to live as though he may come at any second and to get their work done. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. Let me read it to you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. In other words, Paul's basically saying, hold on to the world lightly and the things of this world lightly, for it's going to be gone in short order. We have work to do. So again, we go back to Peter and the passage that I read to you at the beginning of our message. He's writing this last letter to the church, and he's writing to those who are noticeably disappointed that Christ has not yet come, and why? Well, they've picked up on the sense of anticipation from the teaching of the apostles that Christ could return at any moment and any hour, and therefore Peter has to write to them, telling them not to be discouraged and not to lose faith, not to be distracted by the scoffers of their age, pointing out to them that the day of the Lord is coming, that day of rescue is coming, and that day of judgment and retribution on the wicked is coming. They're all bound together in this idea of the day of the Lord. He will come to bring judgment of fire upon the earth. He's coming at any moment, you see. Now, I say all of that to say that in this year ahead of us, the brightest prospect for this year ahead of us, last time I spoke, I talked about many prospects that are available to us in the coming year. Prospects of seizing the opportunity to make Christ known to as many people as possible. The prospect of living in the great privileges that are opened up to us through Jesus Christ. God's fellowship, His forgiveness, His empowerment, His life. The prospect of deepening our union and deepening our relationship and walk with the Lord Jesus from day to day. Wonderful prospects that lie before us in the coming year. But there is no greater prospect than this. The Lord Jesus may come. The Lord Jesus may come and rescue us. The Lord Jesus may come and outfit us to be a part of his great reign. The Lord Jesus may come to bring ultimate justice upon the earth. That's 
the great and most wonderful and hopeful prospect. Now the question is, if that's the greatest prospect for us, the believers, why are we not anxious for that or anticipating it or eager for his return? Why have we let, in a sense, this anticipation for the Lord's return to wane? And should we not be eagerly anticipating the Lord's return with greater and greater longing? And if we are not, why not? I'll save this for this coming Sunday, but I'll give you a sneak preview. How's that? I'll just give you the first three points. I won't elucidate them, but we'll talk about them next week. The first reason I think we don't anticipate the Lord's return with increasing ignorance is because we can become cynical from too many false alarms. By the way, you, you can Google if you'd like or go to Amazon and type in and search for a book that was written some years ago, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1988. <laughs> so that's kind of... A common theme, it's happened over and over again. Those guys who were solving that puzzle I told you about and figuring out the riddles, they figured it out and they told us what the answer was. And they were wrong. And over again, they said, well, let me correct, let me make a few adjustments to my calculations. And they were wrong. Well, let me make just a little bit more. I think that person who wrote that book, by the way, changed to 89 reasons why the rapture is going to take place in 1989. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.